Now, I've got to tell you this morning, I'm, I'm really, I feel a lot of tension up here this morning. I don't know if you know what it feels like to be the only person standing between you and soup. Um, so, because I know how important Soup Sunday is here at Village Green. In fact, it's the only thing that gets a standing ovation, a standing applause every time Matt mentions it. So I'm the only person standing in between. So if we're going long and it's, it, you can't bear it anymore, deal with it. Um, and so anyway, anyway that's, 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 the spring, that's the spring deal for you guys, okay? All right, we're, we're in the very, like, can you believe, 10 weeks. We're on the 10th week of our series in First Peter. And when we began the series, we said that Peter said very, uh, would answer three very important questions all the way through it. Um, three very important questions because if you don't wrestle with these questions personally in your own life, you're going to have difficulty standing. You're going to have difficulty standing against culture. You're going to have difficulty standing uh, for what you believe. You're going to have a difficult standing with people around you. And the three questions we said that First Peter deals with is, who am I, what do I believe, and why do I believe it? And all through First Peter, he's, he's revolved around those questions in one way or another, um, identifying what it means to be a Christian, what, who, who do we identify with, why do we identify with being a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? So they've been very important questions. And, and today, as we, as we round it all out, there's a number of questions that Peter sort of brings into the very last chapter. And uh, we're going we're gonna to fly through it. There's basically six questions that get answered in this particular final chapter in, in the book of First Peter. And it's very, very important because he's sort of, it's, all, it's sort of like a catch-all of everything he's been talking about so far. You'll be very happy to know we're not going to talk a lot about suffering. Okay? We've, we've kind of talked a lot about suffering. But in this last chapter, Peter really crystallizes a number of very, very important <laughs> thoughts. So we're going to begin at chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to go section by section. And uh, basically the questions... That when you're talking about a particular topic, what do you need to do so the world doesn't knock you down? How are you able to stand with certain uh, aspects of this particular passage? So let's begin at verse 1, and I'll read it for you. Next, thanks. (laughs) And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too, Peter that is, I am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share his glory and his honor when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over, other, over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. So, you know, when it comes, here's, here's the question. How do you stand? If you're, if you're in any kind of a leadership position, and he's talking to the church, he's talking to believers all around, talking to elders in, in particular churches, here is a very, you know, he's, he's, he's not identifying, Peter's not identifying himself as an apostle, by the way. In this particular passage, he's calling himself a fellow elder, that I, like you, 
are like that. Okay? So, um, how do we know how to stand when the world wants to knock us down? So, if the question is, what about leadership? What does this passage teach us about leadership? Here it is. We love and we lead by example. That we love and we lead by example. If we've got any kind of an authority, any kind of a leadership position in, in a church of any kind, you need to be a person that loves the people that you minister to, and you need to lead by example. Okay? We only have moral and biblical authority to lead. Okay? I, I, I would... Positional authority is important, but we lead by moral authority and a biblical mandate. As leaders in the church, we are to deposit more than what we withdraw, if I could say it that way. That's, that's, a, that's a requirement. We don't lord it over others. The position is a position of servanthood. It's a position of, of caring for the people who, are, you know, in this imagery of a shepherd and the flock. All right? It's a beautiful image to, to lead by example. You know, I, I think there's a hundred different ways that people could say to me, you need to lead by this or by this or by this or by this. I think the hardest way to lead, the mandate biblically, is to lead by example. I don't know. I, I think I can say very honestly that that's a very um, scary proposition to lead by example. I've said, I've said in biblical leadership, you're, the two greatest enemies in biblical leadership is perception and expectations. People have a perception of you that not necessarily is, is a real perception of you. And people have expectations of you that aren't necessarily expectations because everyone's going to have different expectations of you. So those, are, in my mind, when it comes to biblical leadership, that, are, that is the two greatest enemies that we have to deal with on a regular basis. And, and again, I, you know, to lead by example is something that is, is a prayer each and every day that, that I get up. Because it's a very daunting thing to, to know that in some way, people are watching you and watching your life. Okay? Um, very, very, very important. Um, I, 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 think it was, I think it was Eisenhower who used to, used to use a piece of string to show an example of, of good leadership. He said, if you used to put this piece of string on the table, and he'd say, if you took that piece of string and you pulled it, you know, the string follows in, in a very nice line, right? But what happens if you try to push that string? Yeah, it doesn't get anywhere, right? And that's, and that's the biblical understanding of leadership, right? I think John Maxwell is the one that said, if, you're, if you're, you think you're a leader and no one's following you, all you're doing is going for a walk. <laughs> okay? Right? Um, you know, I, I don't know if you, if you heard a, a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Christian world lost a giant in Howard Hendricks. He passed away. 
and he's, uh, the, uh, he was a, a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, was a mentor to many Christian leaders. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, for instance, he was Chuck Swindoll's you know, mentor. Um, but he said some really interesting things about leadership. One of, the, one of the things that he said is the measure of you as a leader is not what you do, but what others do because of what you do. The second one is you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. You teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. Listen, you know, the older I get, the more I become convinced of one thing, that leadership is important, that I believe the whole world uh, rises and falls on good leadership. I believe every organization rises and falls on good leadership. I think every institution rises and falls on good leadership. We, we may not like it. We may not fully understand it. But all through the Bible, all through the Bible, God is raising up individuals and people to lead in some capacity. And it's very important. It's very important to God that the leaders reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. It's very, very important. Now, I'm going I'm to say something. I may embarrass a few of you, all right? But if there's one thing that I am extremely thankful for, and, some, and a number of them aren't here this morning, um, is that I have the privilege of serving with some pretty amazing people. Brent and Ernest, as our elders, um, they are pretty amazing men of God. And we couldn't, you know... There's so many things that they're able to do, and the wisdom and the guidance that they give is immeasurable. I, I am very, very blessed to have them kind of in the inner circle. You know, our board, as diverse as it is, you know, Don Shirley as our chair, I can't speak enough about the unity and, 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 the, and the grace and the, and the love that this board has for the church and seeing this church thrive. I, I can't tell you how, how blessed we are as a church. And, and that's, you know, I, I can go to bed tonight and absolutely have no qualms about what I'm saying in front of you about any of the individuals that I'm talking about. Um, our staff, our staff is, is, is an amazing staff. To, to work together to the degree that we do knowing that they're committed to the church, they love God, you know, they, they, they're committed to our mission statement. It's a great privilege to be able to, to say that I'm a pastor in a church that has an elders board that, that is amazing, a, a, a board of directors that is amazing, and a staff that is amazing. And then if you start talking about ministry leaders and all the other people involved, like we're... Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, there isn't a single person in all those capacities that I have any anxiety about. I, I'm very, very privileged. And, and I don't think many, many guys in, in my capacity can stand up in front of their congregations and say that about the elders and the board and the ministry heads and, and staff. And that. I, I, I can't. We're very fortunate here. And pray to God that we stay that way because we're committed to, to passages like this. You see, leadership can knock us down, can it? 
Leadership can knock us down. But godly leadership will help us to stand. Will help us to stand and change the world. And change the world. All right? Let's keep going. The next passage. Uh, In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, and all of you, serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Now, a lot of commentators say that the reason Peter talks specifically to the young men to be in authority to the elders is because the young men, in this context, because there's so much persecution, are, are young men who may want to retaliate, who may want to take you know, things into their own hands. So Peter is saying, don't retaliate. Don't put things into your own hands. Listen to the wisdom of the elders because, you know, you're not going to want to push back and make things worse for you in the midst of persecution. So how do we stand? Here's, here's the question. What about authority? What about authority? I love this. Uh, the next line is this. Um, serve with humility and don't make God your enemy. Serve with humility and don't make God your enemy. Why is this important? Because I I, I love the force of this passage. God opposes the proud. Will stand against the proud. He will stand against you. But serve each other with humility. And I've I've said this many, many times. If you want to change the world around you, and if you want to change it to the maximum effect possible, Adopt a life of humility. A life of humility will change the world around you. Every relationship you have with your spouse, um, with, with, with work, all of that. Okay? We talked last week about the difficult people, remember? The troublemakers and all that stuff. If you want to make a great, greatest impact to people in your life, if you adopt a life of humility, very, very... Very important. This passage, unfortunately, brings that whole topic of submission back, right to the forefront, right? The submission of authority. Uh, and we talked, you know, you know, three weeks ago or four weeks ago about what submission was all about. But submission is a Christian thing. It's, an, it's, it's something that we don't like to think about very much. It's got very, uh, it has rotten, uh, you know, attachments in the world that we live in today. But it's a very important thing. This submission to humility, right? You see, because pride can knock us down. How many of us have been knocked down by pride? Okay? Do you know, I, I purpose, this is a little weird thing that I do. I love listening, I've said this before, I love listening to eulogies at funerals. I love to hear what people say about someone. How do you encapsulate a person's life in five minutes. I don't know if I've ever heard a eulogy that did not use the word pride about that individual. And pride is a two-edged sword, right? It's a, it can be a very positive thing, but for those of us, if you're looking inside your own heart right now, you know that same pride can get you into trouble. Right? It's, it's a two-edged sword, you know? To be able to apply pride in the appropriate way, and those times when you know that it's going to cause trouble in your relationships, and it's going to cause trouble in your relationship with God as well. Pride is one of those very difficult things to manage, 
and yet we celebrate it as human beings. And yet it can be one of the things that will take us down faster than anything. Pride can knock us down, but a heart of humility is what will allow us to stand and change the world. All right, next one. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. That's it. (laughs) So how do we stand for knocking us down, right? What about my concerns? What about my concerns? Surrender them to God and leave the results to him. Surrender them to God, leave all the results to him. I think, I think Peter's alluding to what uh, Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew 6. And he talked about the lilies of the field and, um, and uh, the birds of the air. And he was talking about God cares for these animals. Like they don't even think you know, one day to the next. And if God cares for these animals and, and the nature and, and, and creation, how much more is he going to care for us? See, the degree in which you are willing to give up your fears and your anxieties and your worries to God is a degree in which you have faith in God. Isn't it, don't you only release your fears and your anxieties to the people who are the closest to you that have no threat of using that against you. And yet, isn't that the first thing we hold on to and not give to God? We would never allow someone to know that. And yet, when we release our fears and our anxieties and our worries to God... There is something powerful that happens because it tells us that we trust God with our very lives because our worries and our anxieties and our fears are all about life. They relate to the things of life, the realities of life. And when we surrender those to God, we say, God, you're in control now. I no longer can manage them. And I'm good with the outcome Because that's the second part of it. We're not necessarily okay with the outcome when we say, God, you do with this whatever you want to do with it. Because so often we say to ourselves, you know, I gave this to you. You should have solved it for me. The problem is, is often it's in the journey, it's in the the working through it that God is doing the real work in you. And we miss it oftentimes because we want a resolution not a relationship. And sometimes it's in the difficulties that God does the greatest work in you. It's so hard to surrender. It is so hard to give it up. It's so hard to say, God, you're in control as opposed to me being in control. It's an ongoing thing. And for these believers who are being persecuted, they probably felt that God no longer even cared for them. And yet Peter is saying, you know, just give it to God in the midst of the difficulties. And somehow God will work it out. 
Somehow God will work it out. And you know what? I can't, I can't tell you how many times, even in my own life, where I had it all worked out, I had it all mapped out, I had it all figured out, and God did something that I could never have imagined if I had to put the, you know, the result for it. You know, I stopped doing that. I stopped saying, God, you know, I want you to answer this request like this. And there was even a time I gave him three options. You know? <laughs> Yeah, I, I prefer option number one, you know, but if that's not doable, give me two and maybe three, right? And it's amazing the number of options God can come up with. And you know what? There may be, and, 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 and I remember one time in particular, there was a moment where I had one conversation, one conversation with someone like 20 years later. And that one conversation I realized that what I had gone through with that person, that God worked the answer out in that one conversation 20 years later. And that was, and that was the redeemable part of that whole struggle for that 20 years. And I went, really? God, really? And, and, and it reminded me that God was so much more concerned with my relationship with him and my relationship with others than fixing the circumstances surrounding that relationship. I didn't like it. I didn't want to do it. I complained. I whined. I j- but that one, that one conversation just changed everything. Changed everything. Worry and cares of life. The worry and the cares of life can knock us down. But when we surrender them to God, it allows us to stand in the midst of all of it and let him work it out. All right, next one. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him. I love that word, eh? Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. So the question is, what about faith? What about faith? And here it is. We have an enemy and he's out to get you. We have an enemy and he's out to get you. Right? The Greek term here that's being used here is, is translated as accuser. That the devil is an accuser. Accuses you. Right? Of, of, of doing wrong. It accuses you before God the Father. And I love the word devour because devour is like in one bite. <laughs> takes it all. Doesn't, doesn't nibble away at it, but takes it all. Okay? That's, you know, and, and to stand firm in our faith is the way to resist the devil based on this passage. That's what it's talking about. To stand firm in your faith. That is how you resist the devil. You know, the devil is a liar. Do you know that? It's, it's, it's so, it, it's not comical. It's, it's, it's disturbing to think that the, 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 the major tool that the devil has is lying, and we buy into it so much. See, there's two parts to a lie. There's, there's the part of the lie that gets told. The second part of the lie is to believe it. That's where we fail. Because when we believe it, we're saying, God, we don't believe you. 
We believe what the devil is saying. Whatever my insecurities, whatever my fears, whatever it is that, that, that uh, I struggle with, whatever personal um, sin is in my life, the devil is saying these things and just twisting the truth ever so slightly. And we believe the lie. And we have to stand in a position and say, no, God says this is what I am. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it, that I am redeemed. I am a child of God. I am loved by him. I I stand with a purpose in life. I don't need to fear the things that others fear. I don't need to live the way that others live. I don't need to have the same anxieties that everybody has because I'm such a different person. I'm a new creation because of who you've made me. And the devil comes along and how quickly can unravel all of that because our circumstances around us start determining who we are, not the God who created us. Here's a number of ways that the devil attacks us. He attacks the sick, the weak, the isolated, those who are weakened by their circumstances. And the more we become weakened by our circumstances, the more vulnerable we become to the lies. Another way is that he attacks new believers, raises their potential of temptation and doubts. Right? Isn't it, isn't it fascinating? How many, for those of you that have been around new believers, how many times a new believer said, you know, everything was really good in my life until I became a Christian and all of a sudden things started to go wrong? You know, how many times have you heard that? You know, the devil didn't care about you before. You say mutiny to the devil, he coming after you? That's what happens. He didn't bother with you before. Now something happens. He attacks those who pull away from the church. Like a zebra who gets isolated from the pack, from the, from the herd. Now, you know, I, I heard a long time ago, the zebra, God put the, the stripes on the zebra. And those of you, I, I don't know if this is just, you know, nonsense. But I heard, I, I heard that for a lion and in, in a zebra, and seeing all the zebras in one herd together, they can't isolate one to attack one. That's why they're safer in the herd. Because all the stripes kind of mix and it just messes up their eyes. So they can't focus. Right? I don't know if that's true. I just, I heard, I heard a missionary actually say that during a thing. So I don't know if that's true. I don't know. So, okay. But I think it's a cool illustration, right? So if somebody can prove me wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll apologize at a later time. Right? But isn't it, you know, but, but, but to get a zebra on its own, right? They can focus on it. And that's what happens to people who kind of leave the church and say, I don't need the church. I don't need the body of believers. I don't need to be accountable to anybody. It's just, it's just me and God. Doesn't it scare you when somebody goes, it's just me and God? Doesn't that kind of worry you a bit? He attacks those who are not alert to his reality. And again, I don't want to make a big deal about the devil. But if you totally discount him, you totally say he doesn't exist, he loves it when you do that. Loves it when you do that. And then he attacks using fear. It could be economic, it could be social, it could be political. Whatever, whatever fears he wants to bring into the culture, he'll use that for people to discount. Right? So the devil and his lies can knock us down. But a strong faith will allow us to stand. 
All right, I can hear stomachs growling. I need to roll on. All right, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever. And everybody said, amen. 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 All right. Okay, here's the question. What about tomorrow? How many of us are worried about tomorrow? Okay, a glorious future is being shaped by our journey right now. A glorious, you know, future is being shaped by our journey right now. Our journey right now is only a foretaste of what is going to come for those of us that believe in Christ in the future. Do you believe that eternity is waiting for you? Do you believe that a day is coming that all your fears, all your anxieties, all your pains, all your suffering, everything, all your crying, everything that, is, that has brought you grief in this world will no longer exist. And the very best of this world will be every day. We'll have warm snow. <laughs> Amen. We'll have cool summers. Amen. And we'll be able to play golf year-round. Amen. Dale, I thought you'd say amen to that right away. Right? That's, you know, that's, that's the wonder of faith. Is that it doesn't leave us, it doesn't leave us here in the present alone. That tomorrow has all the potential we could possibly imagine. Okay, our doubts about the future can knock us down, right? But knowing that we have a greater hope and a greater day that lies ahead will always allow us to stand in the midst of everything that is happening today. Okay, last one. I have written this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Imagine being persecuted and saying, this is part of God's grace for you. Your sister church here in Babylon or in Rome sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with Christian love or a Christian kiss, whatever you want. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. So, the way I summarize this last one is, what about life in general? What about life in general? And here it is. It's all about grace. Stand firm in it and pass it on. Life is all about the grace of God. Life is all about the grace of God. You've got to wrap your mind around that. We live in a very ungraceful world, ungraceless world, uh, or graceless world, right? That, that the greatest expressions of grace come from the people of God who have experienced that grace from God themselves. I think it's a powerful antidote to so many things. Right? If you, if you live your life understanding that you're living under the grace of God, you will view everything so much differently. I know things get hard. I know things get tough. I know things, but, but isn't it amazing that in the midst of all of that, God will carry you through by his grace. 
Ungrace and hate will knock us down all the time. But a heart of grace will allow us to stand and change the world. Okay, that's, that's it. I got just one last... Let, let me close this whole sermon series down with one last illustration. Um, I, I, read, I read some time ago about Alexander the Great. And um, one, of, one, of the, um, one of his uh, fellow commanders brought a deserter to him, to Alexander the Great. And, of course, Alexander the Great and a deserter doesn't go very well. Okay? And Alexander looked at the soldier and he said, Soldier, what is your name? And the soldier said, It's Alexander. And Alexander couldn't believe it. You have the same name as me? And the soldier said, Yes. Alexander said, Soldier, either change your name or change your life. Now, I give that illustration because throughout all of 1 Peter, we've learned about who we belong to, why we believe what we believe, what we believe is important, that we need to stand. And I think many ways we are claimed by the name of God. That has, yeah, as Don's book, just thinking of it now, that we are called by God's name. Last, last passage said that, that we are called by God's name, which demands of us a life that is very different. The name of God denotes his personality, it denotes his power, it denotes his presence, and to be called by his name means to be personally associated with him. And that the honor that we're given to be a child of his demands of us a life that reflects the name that we say we claim. And that's my challenge to you now that we finish the series of 1 Peter. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning and you're struggling, either change your name or change your life. If you're not a believer here this morning and you want to live a life, and I'm going to say it, of authority, of power, of new creation, something different, something holistic, something that will guarantee for you a future with God, it won't solve all your problems, but it will do amazing things in your life. Your problems are viewed through a whole new set of lenses. So that's my question to you this morning. Are you like the soldier that Alexander was speaking to this morning? So let me pray. Thank you for this series. I pray that um, you'll be challenged by it. I also pray that as we enter into the Easter season that you will continue to resonate with the words of 1 Peter and the lessons that we've learned.
from this series. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 10 weeks of an incredible ride. What a powerful passage. What a powerful section of Scripture. And we thank you for the words of Peter. Lord, we've, we've joked a little bit about Peter himself and just the transformation we've seen in him as a follower of Jesus and then to become the apostle whose life was absolutely changed so dramatically, writing in a context that many of us just can't imagine and yet sticking the truth in there in the midst of circumstances that many of us would never be able to bear. But Father, for the lessons that we've learned, to be able to answer the question of who we are, what we believe and why we believe it, we want to thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.